Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Andy Phillips, Sales Director at IRSAP UK, the British branch of Italy's leading manufacturer of design-led radiators. Andy, hello. Hello. Well, thank you very much for coming on the program today. Uh, Normally, we would charge straight on to the subject of leadership. However, under the current circumstances, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you how COVID-19 has been affecting your business. Um, Well, like most businesses um, up and down the country, we've been significantly affected. And uh, as we talk about leadership, um, it's been quite a significant challenge for myself and uh, and my co-director Grant. We've mm-hmm. furloughed uh, of the roughly 60 people that work in the UK uh, for our business. We've furloughed all bar five people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's left five of us trying to keep the business financially going. Uh, we're fortunate to be part of a um, of a large group these days. Um, as you mentioned, um, Ursap in Italy acquired us um, three years ago. So we at least have that sort of financial security behind us. Um, but it has been a very challenging time. And of course, the next challenge is how we then reopen our business as we come out of the other side of this. Um, so yeah, pretty difficult times. Do you feel that this is going to permanently scar your business? Um, permanently, we would hope not. Um, I big issue that we will have and, uh, and again lots and lots of businesses up and down the country are going to be in exactly the same position um, this hurdle we're going through at the moment or going over at the moment is actually not the biggest hurdle we're going to have to encounter mm-hmm. when we return um, to some form of normality we will have, have had a period in our business where we have generated no revenue now at the minute that period is almost exactly one month if that carries on, um, of course, we will have a, a, a period later on when the invoices that we would have normally done in this period would have become due. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that's a big challenge to our business because it means that there is no cash coming into our business. Um, so that's going to be a, a, a further hurdle. However, permanently scar, um, I think permanent is too strong a word, but it will certainly be a long, long time before we return to, let's call it normal. And we don't quite know what that normal is yet. Of course. Uh, well, we might as well move on to the subject of leadership. Uh, long-time listeners of the program will know I always like to start the conversation off with the same question. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, it's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Obviously, knowing we were going to discuss the subject, that I've thought about it, and I think it doesn't just mean one thing, does it? The term leader. To be a leader, I guess really you have to be uh, an inspirer, um, uh, hopefully an inspirer of those people around you. Um, And then you also have to retain an enormous sense of balance, don't you? I think think it's... Um, and I know that's a, perhaps a tired and cliche word that's overused in business, but there really is that, that balance between the, the, the morality of being a leader, of, of 
being responsible for people around you and their wider lives, but also bearing the responsibility of the business. So I really, I think, boils down to, you know, inspiration and balance. Now, how would you describe your personal leadership philosophy? Um, I've tried very hard in the decade or so, really, where I've been, let's, let's call it some form of leader, um, to learn good bits, um, or what I perceive to be the good bits, of those people who have had leading me in the past. And, and I think what I've really tried to do is to um, not be an abuser of power, you know, and, and I think lots of leaders say this. <laughs> Reality perhaps is a little bit different, so hopefully those that um, work alongside me will agree, but I've tried very hard to not abuse the position of power that I have, to not be a tyrant or a bully, and to really try to genuinely trust those around me and, you know, you know hopefully have trust in those people and give trust to those people and, and treat the people around me, hopefully, how um, you know how I would have liked to have been treated. Um, again, we're back to this word balance. Of course, you have to balance that with the fact that, as a leader, ultimately, uh, you do have to make the decisions. But um, yeah, I'd like to think that perhaps a, a, a progressive style of leadership, um, and hopefully, those that work alongside me will say something similar. Let's go back to a point you brought up earlier about the people that you learn from, your role models. Let's go into a specific role model. What did they teach you that was so very important? Um, I, th I think it really is that um, to get the best out of people, um, allowing, allowing them to flourish alongside you is important. Um, and again, I think thinking of other examples i can think of examples where leaders have deliberately squashed the ambitions of those around them because they've seen it as a threat and i think having you know seeing somebody allow me but not just me but allow others to grow and assume responsibility without viewing it as a threat but actually welcoming it is really important and also allowing people with good grace to move on um, I had a, a, a tremendous guy work for me who who moved on for the right reasons. And, you know, we remain friends after that. And I think allowing an understanding that people have their own races to race and their own lives to live and being glad for them to move on into bigger and better positions. So I, th I think really, and I, and I do look at, at business as being about the people. We're back to the word balance again, because, of course, you have to balance the people with the needs of the business. But for me, uh, I think uh, enjoying the success of others around you is beneficial to both the company and to yourself. Now, um, of course, uh, leadership comes with its challenges, number one of which is dealing with uh, these tricky creatures called humans. Uh, yeah. We know that they're not infallible. Uh, sometimes they get into disagreements with one another. Sometimes they don't hold up their end of the bargain. What is your approach to dealing with conflict? Um, again, I think I think um, patience is important. Um, I think attempting to one of the most difficult things you can do is to see to see a situation from 
somebody else's perspective, somebody else's point of view, putting yourself in their shoes. Um, I, I think conflict inevitably arises, whether it's between employees working on the same team or whether it's between um, companies either that are, that, that are transacting with each other. Um, I think my attitude is to always try and see the good in people, to always try and understand how they feel. And to try and give people second chances as well, I, I think that that's pretty important. Um, but um, ultimately, I think resolution um, com- comes only through being properly patient and trying to understand. Well, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, uh, what does the next 12 months have in store for IRSAP UK? Well, we're looking very hard at our um, our business model, we're looking uh, hard at how we diversify in a in a sensitive way, um, uh, in order to really future proof the business. Um, so we're going to try and operate um, in multiple channels rather than just in one sort of business channel. That in itself will bring uh, some challenges uh, internally and externally, um, but we think um, we're we need to head into a brave new world. And um, in a way, the COVID-19 situation has really highlighted and exacerbated that particular position. So, but we're looking forward to the challenges. And I'd say we're fortunate to be part of this bigger and wider group. Um, and they give us plenty of support. So the next 12 months are going to be challenging. Um, but we're really going to work hard at making our business fit for the 21st century. Well, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program today, and I very much hope that you can come back on again at some point when things have got back to some stage of normalcy. Andy, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Andy Phillips, Sales Director at IRSAP UK. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was 
simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, they the quite always mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there... It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure... When you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he 
it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people... And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, and my family, you've got somebody in a group who doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing... Um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position and somewhat fortuitously I only got back in the team because of a a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Gray's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, 
the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh if, you put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates began looking at you for leadership um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other 
people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact. The younger players coming in into the team latterly, um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you? as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to... Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even, uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing Teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Green was yeah. The, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the. Um, time. Um, looking um, back 
through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and uh, dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.